When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and here's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, two buddies tighter than the race for that coveted 13th spot in the Premier League. <laughs> Palace, we're pointing ahead with a game in hand. It's questions day, Kieran. <laughs> uh, first question being, what would the stewards do in Old Trafford? Just coming in, boys. In you come. <laughs> yes, they're not putting up too much for a scrap, are they? Yeah, sit, sit yourself down anywhere you want. Uh, so we're recording while that's going on. So whether the game happens, we don't know. Uh, it is this is Sunday in our world. It's Monday in yours. Happy Monday. Happy bank holiday if you're in a country with a bank holiday. Uh, before questions, though, Kieran, one very big news story to discuss off the back of our Premier League broadcasting uh, scoop last week uh, and that the BT is looking to sell a stake in its pay TV sports business and if, if someone offered enough Kieran would they sell the lot? I, I think so um, pay, pay TV has never really fit particularly comfortable as far as BT are concerned they initially got into it as a defensive measure when Sky were taking market share in terms of broadband. So BT's response to that, well, if you're going to try to nick our broadband customers, we will try to nick some of your um, TV subscription customers. And they, they spent about six or seven years uh, sort of Point, you know, putting each other's tanks on their lawns and mm. and firing off, and and that's why the the TV rights in both uh, 2014 and 2017 went up by 70 percent a time. And then they thought, well, this really isn't the smartest thing we've ever done. Um, why not try to compete another means, which other than just putting loads of money into football, uh, which goes straight through into players' wages, and and we don't actually receive a benefit because ultimately there is a fixed limit on the number of people who are prepared to pay for TV rights. Uh, yeah, you say it wasn't an easy fit. A friend of ours is very highly placed in the sports broadcasting industry. Um, indicates that the BT shareholders all along have been slightly concerned about it because they're quite a cautious bunch and they think that sports broadcasting is quite racy. Is that is that a fair comment, do you think? Um, it, it certainly is risk um compared to telephone lines which are which are about as dull as ditch water you and any form of utility industry well, uh, if you think about you know gas electricity telephone um it, it tends to be sort of you know fa- fairly dull uh but you, you're looking at coming from the customers that's coming from an accountant kieran that's <laughs> indeed does, does does this um uh, it does this imply that bt may have been ready to invest in the super league and now it's not there they're, they're giving up? Um, no. I mean, I, I've spoken to quite a few people with regards to Super League, and, and the one thing which keeps coming back is we've got absolutely no idea who Super League were planning to sell the rights to. Really? There's been talk about some global players, and, and BT ultimately are a local 
uh, a local distributor. So would it have been Disney? Would it have been the Zone? Um, but that doesn't seem to be you know ticking boxes either. So all all very strange with regards to Super League, which remember still exists. Uh, there are still three members in Super League as we speak. Um, and uh, you know, Florentino Perez is still saying it's a wonderful thing, and the only reason why it uh, didn't take place because the fans were stupid and didn't understand it. Mm. How, how does this work, Kieran? If, if somebody comes in with money, and I presume there are very few people who could afford this, presumably existing broadcasters, do do BT look to sell them the Premier League games they have, or are they looking for investment uh, or just to offload a part of the the rights package in general? It could be done in a variety of ways. BT Sport Limited is a separate company from BT. So what what British Telecom could do is to say, we're willing to give somebody a 50% or even a 51% stake in this particular part of the business. There has been talk about potentially ITV coming in for it. Yes, with Um, with free-to-air. Free-to-air. Yes. So... Um, and I know um, from t- t- talking to some people connected to UEFA um, that there is this sort of ongoing dissatisfaction with the fact that the Champions League and the Europa League are behind a paywall because that has an impact upon UEFA's ability to sell the rights uh, in terms of the senior sponsors of the competition because they're saying, well, you know, we're, we're looking at the at the uh, viewing figures that BT are getting and uh, you know that, that you're getting you're getting more people tuning into uh, the antiques roadshow so mm. you know why why do you expect us to pay a premium price for this when relatively few people are paying for the product that, the ITV free to air one is is intriguing because obviously it's something we've all been hankering for for a long time especially older uh, watchers of the sport but I, I presume ITV would then make a fortune out of advertisers wouldn't they in if you had Premier League football at a prime time ITV slot yes I mean the the previous deal that they had where the the rights were shared with BT uh, effectively allowed uh, ITV to show one match a week uh, live and and then the highlights normally you know in a, in the equivalent of a match of the day style program mm. at 10:30 whereas BT then showed the remainder of the matches and that seemed to work for both parties so whether BT perhaps bit off more than they could chew by going for the exclusive rights i think they were trying to increase their market share through taking such an approach um, only time will tell but i don't think it's been uh, a huge success for BT um, you know, people. Some people have the subscriptions. I think more people have taken up the subscriptions potentially during lockdown because if if you are fortunate enough to to still have a job and you're working from home and you're not paying for your commuting fees and so on, there's evidence that a proportion of the uh, population actually have more money in their pocket than they did a year ago. And things such as live TV um, is actually quite appealing. Mm. Okay, let's get on with the questions, Kieran, because we do have some crackers. And the first comes from, uh, I'm not implying, by the way, that we have some crackers and some dull ones, uh, like we normally do on an accountant special. Uh, They're all crackers, let's put it this way. James Faulkner asked our first question. And James said, with clubs like Spurs and Arsenal borrowing over £100 million uh, from the Bank of England and then blowing it on new signings rather than paying off bills for new stadia, why aren't all clubs doing this? Is it a risky loan? Or is it only the big six type clubs that can loan this sort of money? Does it ever need to be repaid or will it forever be just interest only? And surely, he says, this puts the Bank of England 
on the wrongens list. It's an issue, Kieran, we have discussed before, but James's question seems to sum up the concerns a lot of us have. Namely, if you're already a rich club, it's very easy to borrow yourself richer. Yes. Um, the the Bank of England uh, CCFF, uh, Commercial Credit uh, Finance Fund, I think it's called, um, only applies to those companies which, in the words of the Bank of England, make a material contribution to the economy and already had an investment-grade credit score. Mm. So this would rule out those clubs that have been historically losing money in the Premier League, which, as we know, is quite a lot of them. Manchester City and Chelsea, for example, wouldn't be able to apply. Um, It also said, interestingly, um, and I went on to the Bank of England uh, website this morning, that it would not apply if you are what's referred to as a leveraged buyout company. And this is where somebody takes over a company and borrows a huge sum of money to fund that acquisition. So immediately here, we're looking at Manchester United and Burnley because both of those clubs have been acquired by owners who have effectively uh, mortgaged the club's assets as a means of taking over over the entity. Um, So those would be outside. The majority of your revenues have got to come from the UK. Well, that's not an issue. Um, And you've got to have evidence of significant employment um, which I think clearly uh, Arsenal and Spurs can can tick those boxes. But in my reaction, I, th- I think practically every Premier League club would have been able to do so. Um, I think what would have um, what would have probably been the the issue for for many clubs is that they wouldn't necessarily have a good credit rating uh, because not many have been very good at making profits. And, and I did a I did an analysis of the five most profitable clubs. Uh, in in Premier League history, which was um, Arsenal, Spurs, or Spurs were top, then Arsenal, uh, then Liverpool, Manchester United, and Burnley. Um, so, but two of those would be ruled out because they're leveraged buyouts. Um, then, then I went into um, the the Bank of England very kindly puts out a spreadsheet with how much everybody's borrowed. Can you imagine the joy? In my household, when I said to the Baroness, uh, it's okay, uh, not, we're not going out tonight with your friends. Um, I've got a new spreadsheet to look at. <laughs> Did she go out anyway? Yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and in this, um, we've got uh, the Football Association, £175 million, Arsenal, 120 Spurs, 175 Now, going back to James's question, you know, can they... Um, you know, it can can they just go and throw this money away? It's, it's a bit like people paying eight hundred pounds for a roll of wallpaper. You know, can they just go and waste the money willy nilly? Um, the important thing to note is uh, that the the loans have a maturity date in, in what's called uh, commercial paper, which is a which is a, a, a posh person's, and it's what a financier calls an IOU. Um, it's an IOU where you've got to repay the money within seven days or 12 months. So it, my gut reaction is it, it can't be used for long-term projects such oh. as you know, building a new stadium or... Uh, spending it on you know, a fifty million pound centre forward because the instalments there tend to be sort of spread over a longer period of time. It's it's very kind of the Bank of England to uh, offer you marriage threatening spreadsheets. But is, 
Is that not confidential information, Kieran? I mean, clearly not. But I, w- I would have thought that's the sort of thing that neither the the bank nor the person lending the money would want everybody else to know. Well, I think um, because it is a a Bank of England policy where they are committed to transparency and they don't want to be include that uh, they don't want to be accused of um, nepotism, cronyism, or favoritism. They have decided to go through the transparency route, and yeah, the, the list of companies involved are you know, they 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 vary across all, all sectors of the economy. You've got people like G4S who are well known for their uh, spectacularly good running of the uh, the uh, of the prison service and and, and other parts of the economy. Yes, it's amazing how often certain names crop up and research notes for Have I Got News For You and G4S is one. They've had a quite a couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest. We're mainly, mainly focusing on the post office and horizon at the moment. Yes. Um, Tim Garfoot has a question. And normally, Kieran, you know my instinct for these things. I'm a man of the people. Normally, it's quite easy. Uh, Waitrose not considering. Uh, it's normally, <laughs> normally, it's quite easy to tell whether someone supports the club they're asking about. But in Tim's case, I'm not entirely sure. Because So Tim's question is this. Are West Ham the worst-run club financially in the Premier League? And if not, why not? Um, which is a, <laughs> a slightly, I'm not sure if, he, if he's, he's cross that they won't be because he's a West Ham fan or cross that they will be because he's a West Ham fan. Uh, Tim bases this question on the, the selling of Sebastian Haller for £25 million less than they paid for him, with the rumour being, God bless rumour, that they have to sell because they can't afford to pay the remaining instalments. Surely this means they basically pay the £20 million loan fee over two years, plus wages and commissions, etc. Now, that certainly sounds like a bad deal, Kieran. But mm. is, it, is it a one-off, or is that a sign of a deeper malaise? Um, I think that is a spectacularly bad deal. Um, West Ham actually are the, the seventh biggest loss-making club in Premier League history. So again, Premier League history, not just not in just history. now. Well, yeah. that's going back to 1992-93. So I've, I've been through every set of accounts of every club, all 49 clubs that have been in the Premier League, and they came in at a number seven. So my gut reaction, I don't think they are the worst run club. Now, the biggest loss makers are Chelsea and Manchester City. Really? But I would argue, yeah, oh, oh yeah, by, by a street, by an absolute street. But... I would argue that that's not necessarily badly run. It's just that finances was not a priority. Um, you know, as 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 a, as a fo- you know, ultimately, you and I we're the same. We're football fans, and what do we want to see? We want to see our our teams win and potentially get trophies. Chelsea and Manchester City have lost hugely financially, but in terms of trophies, you know, Abramovich and Mansour yeah, have delivered. Yeah. So I, I don't think so. Um, so I, I had a long, hard think about this and looked at the numbers in detail. And this is the official Price of Football Award for the worst-run club off the pitch. Step forward, Sunderland. Oh. They are the fifth biggest loss-makers in Premier League history. Um, if you take a look at the, the payoffs that they've had to former chief executives – they're quite spectacular. And you know, what have they got for being the fifth biggest loss makers in Premier League history? They've got three years in League One, despite for two of those years being in being in receipt of parachute payments. So 
Um, yeah, you know, I've got friends who are Sunderland fans, and yeah, you know, I think we both said, you know, we both we're both old enough to have been at both uh, Roker Park and the stadium, and like it's a, it's a great day out, and we wish them all the best. Um, but historically, some of the people that have been running your club from a financial point of view have made uh, spectacularly bad decisions on a regular basis. Yeah, and Man City certainly win titles. We were watching the game in a massive garden yesterday, all safety distant pub garden, I hasten to add, Kieran, uh, called the Tree House in Croydon. Unfortunately, the Tree House is not a free house. Uh, <laughs> uh, somebody somebody quietened the mood at halftime by saying, have you seen this? Pep Guardiola wins a title on average every 28 matches. And we all said that can't be true. And we looked it up and yes, he does. He, on average, Pep Guardiola in his career has won a title every 28 matches. Good grief. Uh, I know, that's a lot more than Palace. It's just a, a silence descended on the, the assembled <laughs> Palace fans. And then, and then we thought, suddenly somebody said, well, we're doing all right, nil-nil, we could get a point out of this. And then somebody said, well, you shouldn't have said that, should you, five minutes later. <laughs> no. um, Tony McNeary has a question for us. Um, and it's also a lesson for us, Kieran, that we really oh. have to pay attention and we can't, we can't get away with anything because our listeners are listening and they're making notes on their own spreadsheets. Well, I believe he might be merchandising a price of football spreadsheet. So, uh, Tony well, McNeary. Tony, to yeah, Tony. <laughs> it didn't make you laugh, so it wasn't that funny. Tony, <laughs> Tony McNeary says, Before Christmas, Kieran told us that Spurs' matchday revenues in 2019-20 had exceeded Manchester United's for the first time. But recently, answering another question, Kieran said that both Spurs and Man United's matchday revenues were between 4 and £4.5 million per match. Is this correct? Yes, both both parts of that are correct. In mm-hmm. in twenty nineteen twenty, um, Spurs generated ninety four point five million pounds in uh, match day revenue from fourteen Premier League and seven cup matches, and Manchester United generated eighty nine point eight million pounds in uh, match day revenue from fourteen Premier League and eight cup matches at home. So therefore, they are both between four and four and a half million pounds per match. But Spurs tends to be a wee bit more. And if you've seen the prices of season tickets at Spurs, mm. um, my mate Paul, who's my next door neighbour, he's a Spurs season ticket holder. Uh, and uh, yeah, when he when he shows me, he's 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 silently weeping. Um, <laughs> Um, but he says, you, you know, as a football fan, you don't have a choice, really, do you? I mean, you know, yeah. if you, it's it's that horrible, horrible sensation that you feel that you're being taken advantage of, but it's the club you love. Yeah, thank you for that question, Tony. If you uh, if you listened very carefully, you'll have heard this slight note of umbrage in Kieran's voice, <laughs> as you pointed out there. He was right on both occasions. I I spot it straight away. You see, Tony, because I've I've been with We're him married. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kieran Richards. Uh, Kieran Richards says, with the current loss of match day income, there seems to be two big incomes for sport at the moment, TV and betting. Would it be possible theoretically and realistically for the Premier League and EFL to sell the rights of listing the clubs and fixtures to betting companies? Um, The amount of money currently collected by betting companies, which is then not given to the game, must be enormous. It's a fair point. We've talked about this before. Horse Horse racing does at least make substantial money from betting companies, but Historically, football doesn't do that, does it? Well, it does. There is a company called Football Data Co. Limited, which sells the rights to the fixture list. And if you've ever run a blog or a fanzine, um, you might have had your fingers burnt 
by these bunch because they 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 charge every newspaper. Um, yeah, when, yeah. You know, when the fixtures come out, that, yeah. that, that's charged. Um, and they also sell those rights to the the gambling companies. But the, the amounts involved tend to be relatively low. I mean, the total revenue of Football Data Co. last year was £14 million, so, so not to be sniffed at, but that, that covers both the Premier League and the EFL. Um, and I think there is a case for saying that, you know, could they be charging more, but... You know, it then goes potentially, and um, there was there was a there was a, uh, there was a legal case which went as far as the EU court between one of the gambling companies and Football Data Co as to exactly who owns the the, the trademark or the intellectual property with regards to these. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it, it is intriguing stuff. Um, I think what is uh, what, what the gambling companies are prepared to pay for. Is the, uh, the the final decisions? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, because sometimes there's a be there'll be a disputed goal, or uh, you know, or, or things, or, you know, or, or you know, how how long is extra time is injury time going to be for you? You can gamble on practically everything. And here, I think Football Data Co prides itself on having the most accurate information. So when the when, when the dodgy goals committee takes place, you know, Football Data Co are normally the first people to put that out, and that has implications for people who have placed bets. Having said that, uh, you know, we have spoken before uh, about uh, the fact that football individual clubs do do get some financial benefit from the gambling industry, but the gambling industry overall um, makes phenomenal amounts of money. Um, if, you know, we, we, we've spoken before about you know, Bet365 and how successful they are in, in terms of generating funds. Um, you know, I, I've said um, that you know, if we just had a one percent levy on every bet that was placed in terms of football, then that could bring in, uh, yeah, I think, one hundred and forty million pounds a year, which is ten times the amount of money which is brought in um, from from Football Data Co. And um, when when I mention this to my new best friend Gordo. Um, um, or, or former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, to to those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, with our special relationship, uh, he, uh, he he seemed quite keen on that, and you know has 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 sort of embraced that as well. So um, that's that's where we stand at present. So some money is being made, um, but uh, you know the amount of the, the amount that uh, Football Data Co charge for an indiv- to an individual gambling company is pretty small when you think that a, a 30 second ad on uh, it during a premier league match will will be generate the you know, will cost it will cost the gambling companies around about 35 grand from from what I've seen in the newspapers yeah <clears throat> funny enough I've been running a book on this week's pod so I'll now have to pay out all those who said he'd mentioned Gordon Brown between question four and five. <laughs> yeah, that's where the money's going. A lot of people went after question one, but no. I've, no. <laughs> um, so there's two things. Though. So, I mean, the money that – and I honestly – again, it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast because I generally – I honestly never heard of Football Data Code. But So if I'm lucky enough to get a ticket for the Palace-Arsenal game in a couple of weeks' time, and when I look at the programme and it's got the fixtures – so Palace have paid Football Data Co to print the fixtures in their program. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, yeah, they, they will pay them a you know a, a set fee at the start. Mm. I think they charge. I think they charge a newspaper. Yeah, th- I think it's three thousand pounds normally for for every fixture uh, to be to be announced. Um, right. so not, they're not huge sums, but you know they, they, they think about the number of publications that exist in the country, and, and it and it does add, does add up. And just let me get this straight. But all the money made by Football Data Co is not going back into football, is it? Is is going back into Football Data Co, presumably? Well, no, because Football Data Co's shareholders are the Premier League and the EFL. So it, it oh, does flow right. back into right, the central right. coffers and is then distributed to clubs on that basis. Right, I got Okay, okay. Uh, I've generally never heard of him. Amazing. Uh, our next question comes from Jim Wiley. And uh, Jim, it tells us that he's a Kilmarnock fan. And he has a question about their stadium, Rugby Park. Uh, being renamed the BBSP Stadium after 150 years of the old name. Can Kieran find out the financial benefit of this to the club? As far as I can see, the owner, Billy Bowie, may have got a great deal out of this as the renaming didn't go out to tender. Has he got a wave of one here? Now, I assume, Kieran, the BB in BBSP stands for Billy Bowie. It does, um, indeed. Good. I would have said uh, bare balls, but the Manscaped days are <laughs> over. Yeah, we've been sacked by Manscaped, uh, haven't we? Uh, we have indeed been sacked, Kieran. That's sacked is <laughs> quite the right word. Uh, hairy sacks now. We can be as... Uh, um, and that bare balls joke is specifically for Wes Minnelli, who tweeted to ask if I would stop crowbarring in Gono jokes. Now. <laughs> no, no, Wes, I won't. No, <laughs> I'm a boy, uh, but, but it's an interesting question, though. So, so Billy Bowie has has named the stadium after himself or his company, and it didn't go out to tender. So, has has indeed he got away with one here? As Jimmy's asking, I personally don't think so. And the reason why I say that is is uh, multifaceted. First of all, as far as Kilmarnock fans are concerned, it will always be called Rugby Park. Yeah, yes, of course. So. Uh, is Billy Bowie going to get any commercial benefit from it? And and BBS BBSP stands for Billy Bowie Special Projects. Apparently, um, Billy Bowie is a seventy one percent shareholder of Kilmarnock Football Club, and um, I've just seen Kilmarnock's accounts. They came out a few days ago. They they arrived at uh, Company's House, and I, I think Kilmarnock are actually a very well run club. That um, they always you know, tend to break even. Um, but you know, COVID has hit them hard. They reckon that the total cost of COVID is around about three million pounds. Um, they've mon- managed to borrow interest-free from the Scottish government, so that's even lower than the Bank of England are lending to to Arsenal and Spurs. Um, the fantastic uh, fans group, the Killy Trust, um, they've uh, they've supported the club. Mm. Um, I think what the fans have been offered. And I think this is this is similar to what we've seen at Lincoln City, is that if you want to forego uh, your rebate on season tickets, uh, the club will issue you shares instead. I, 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 stand, I, can't, I, I, I could be wrong on that one. Um, and then when it comes to Mr. Mr. Billy Bowie um, or Bowie, he has uh, put money into the club as well. So 
Um, I think this is just um, you know, an alternative vehicle through through which uh, money's going in. Who else would have bought the naming rights to Rugby Park? I, I don't think there would be a huge. I don't think there'd be a huge queue. So um, I, I don't actually think that the club has has lost out here. Uh, Billy Bowie has been a big financial supporter of Kilmarnock Football Club. He could have called it Billy Bowie's Rugby Park, couldn't he? Yes, he could. BBRP, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Billy Bowie. And if, please get in touch if anyone knows whether he's Billy Bowie or Billy Bowie. Uh, yeah, David, yeah, that is critical. Uh, it's, well, it is critical because I was watching the documentary last night and at one stage David Bowie said, pronounce it how you want. I used to pronounce it David Bowie, which is <laughs> slightly concerning. Brixton boy, of course. We're very proud of him in South London. Uh, Jack Eustace. As a West Brom fan, says Jack, I was gutted when we sold Academy prospect Louis Barry to Barcelona in 2019. Although you can never grumble about selling a player to one of the world's largest clubs, there are still questions around the deal. Barca only had to pay £235,000 for him, which I believe, says Jack, was set by FIFA. However, it appears we still haven't received a penny for him. If that is true, why not? Right. Um, I mean... I don't think West Brom were forced to sell him. It was a case of Louis Barry joined West Bromwich Albion's academy at the age of six, and he stayed there until he was 15. Um, And um, he was then offered professional terms and decided, I've also got an offer from Barcelona Football Club. And, uh, you know, I I think that was was clearly very uh, attractive to him. Um, And he therefore went... To Barcelona. Now, under FIFA regulations, if you are moving from one country to another below, I think it's the age of 23 or 24, um, you are entitled to uh, fixed compensation. So the tariff here was £235,000. Barcelona should have paid it. You know, that, that's, that's the end and the short of it. You know. um, but for whatever reason, and we know that Barcelona have huge problems, and this this could be a classic case of the big guy picking on the little guy by just you know if, if, if anybody's ever had the misfortune to have to deal with big retailers or large organisations in terms of uh, trying to get money out of them after you supplied them with goods, they can be really awkward. Um, I, my understanding is that uh, this has been reported to FIFA, the EFL, who. Uh, West Bromwich Albion were an EFL club at the time. They, they were also supporting West Brom. Um, I, th- I think what's really great with uh, West Bromwich Albion fans is that Louis Barry didn't settle particularly in uh, Barcelona, and uh, they then sold him to Aston Villa for somewhere in the region of eight hundred and fifty grand, which could go up to three million pounds uh, based on uh, you know appearances and, and and achieving certain goals. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't know whether Villa have paid or not, but you know, presumably they, they would normally expect them to pay a deposit. Um, so it looks like Barcelona have made money out of the sale and not paid any money across in respect of the purchase, which, if so, it is absolutely shabby practice. Mm. <clears throat> I have to say I love the I get, I get It takes me about three days, Kieran, if I'm away. It takes me three days to start missing South London. And I love the fact that this lad went from the black country to Barcelona and after a couple of days just went, no, I want to go back. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's his home. It's where he's from. It's where his mates yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good for him. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful uh, 
validation, I think, of the that part of the world. Hayden Whitehead, <coughs> excuse me, Hayden White. I couldn't. Validation is not the right word, Kieran. But as you know, I've got a hangover, so <laughs> I'm amazed you got that amount of syllables out of me. To be perfectly honest, Hayden Whitehead says, "I love the pod. I'm a long time listener from the very beginning." Cheers for keeping it going through a tricky year. Uh, to be honest, Hayden, it helped keep us going through a tricky yes. year. Uh, my question, says Hayden, is around Brexit and the points-based system re-signing players. Would a similar system be in place for bringing in foreign managers? Um, if so, what would be the criteria? And if not, why not? That's a good question, Hayden. And thank you for your kind comments. Because we've we've talked, of course, about what happens post-Brexit about bringing players in, but not mentioned the managers at all. Yes, because as as far as players are concerned, um, the the clubs have to go through what's called a governing body endorsement, which is linked to uh, the number of minutes on the pitch they've had in terms of appearances, the quality of the selling club, um, and also the the FIFA ranking of their their domestic country. And um, and I thought, does this apply to managers? And you know, to be fair to the FA, it does have a very comprehensive website. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like a I'm, I'm like a pig in muck uh, when <laughs> uh, when going into small print, as we both know. Um, and 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 it turns out that uh, you do need uh, to have the support, uh, and you do have to satisfy okay. criteria. There are the the, uh, the the football association has said that there are five tiers of country uh, so that's one of the things that we look at so if you if you're so if you are coming from if you're the manager or coach uh, of another football club then they will look at the tier uh, at which you're in so tier one would be um, England uh, Germany France Spain and Italy so if Jose Mourinho is uh, is he, if he's going for you know, a, new, a new job in uh, in the Premier League, you know, say say the Arsenal job comes up, for example. Oh, well, um, Palace job, Kieran. We know well, Palace job. Palace yeah, yeah. Palace, yeah. <clears throat> um, then then that should be relatively straightforward, and then and it drops through to tier five, uh, tier five: uh, Serbia, Poland, Slovenia, Colombia, Uruguay, and China uh, are the are the leagues which are in tier five. Um, He's also got to have a pro license, so you know there, there is a. It's, it's a bit like if you're trying to recruit a doctor, he'd, he'd you know, clearly he'd have to have a, uh, you know, been to medical school and proof of that. Um, if he is, however, a, an international manager, then he would only be accepted if he is the international manager of a, a top fifty ranked. FIFA nation. So, if it was you know, Nepal or Burundi or uh, a, a, a country which is uh, lower ranked than that, then it would be more of a challenge. Although you can appeal, and you have to fill out a form, and it will cost you five thousand pounds to appeal the verdict. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Um, you know, the manager who's most interested in the Palace situation at the moment is Sam Allardyce, not because he'll be our next manager, but he'll be hoping we make another decision like Frank de Boer. So that almost inevitably, after six games, we'll have to phone Sam Allardyce up to get us out of trouble. Or indeed, Roy Hodgson, <laughs> which is my prediction, that we, we go for Frank Lampard and after six games, Frank realises he's made a terrible mistake and we get Roy back. Um, and talking of managers, Manny Alam, for our penultimate question, Manny Alam says... That my question is around the wider impact of the pandemic on transfer, specifically Jurgen Klopp saying COVID made it unlikely he could sign a centre-back, although he still found ways of signing Thiago and Jota. 
How much has it had an impact on Liverpool and the rest, or is it just an excuse not to sign players? Um, the, the COVID has had a huge impact on every club. Liverpool announced losses of, of £46 billion, which, which, which is quite modest by Premier League standards. Um, I, th- I think the Liverpool ownership model is very much geared towards trying to break even on a day-to-day basis, making some profits from um, a big sale, um, if not every year, but it, it, yeah, perhaps two in every three years. So certainly they made an absolute fortune from Coutinho, um, uh, Suarez, Sterling. And, and then for a while they became uh, Bournemouth's feeder club. Um, and we're selling uh, players there, and they made a lot of money out of Bournemouth. Um, but that that has dried up over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. So I think actually that part of the reason why Liverpool perhaps haven't spent as much money as some fans uh, would have liked is because they've they've not been uh, they've not been selling players to the same extent, um, and they they've tended to sort of have a a one out one in broad policy, not not in a single season, but over a slightly longer period of time. There's no doubt that FSG do view Liverpool as a cash cow, and that is significantly different from the approach that we have seen at Chelsea and Manchester City, where the, where the focus has always been on uh, making sure that the manager is, is given, to a, to a reasonable extent, you know, fairly unlimited funds um, in, in order to build up the quality of the squad. Because the focus there, is, as I mentioned to you earlier, in, I think it was one of our first or second questions, mm. was uh, tr- winning trophies is, is all what it's about and, and the financial consequences, provided they have kept within financial fair play. And there could be a story breaking on our Thursday show with regards to that. Um, then, um, that then you know they're quite happy to carry on. Oh, you you little tease! I've been, I've been I've been watching you and your how 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 to be a broadcaster and these things. And... <laughs> uh, it's a relatively short pod this week, Kieran, because you and I are good trade unionists, and we're not doing a full hour on a bank holiday Monday, uh, <laughs> as we said to Guy. Not unless we're going at double time for the second half hour. Um, that noise you can hear in the background is Ali trying to be quiet. Uh, <laughs> she's getting her oh she's getting her second biggest toolkit out she's oh got, lordy I know she has three toolkits which is three toolkits more than I have <laughs> I know if, if uh, I'm the one who gets the candles and the lush in this relationship she gets screwdrivers um, Quentin Soldan uh, has our last question this bank holiday uh, Quentin says is there any model where a company or individual could buy a Premier League team and realistically expect to turn a profit um yes uh first of all um you could be burnley football club which i've said on more than one occasion is in my view the best run club financially Mm. um in in football uh as far as the premier league is concerned that was before the takeover as well you're talking about you're talking historically yeah yeah and um yeah I, i mentioned the the most profitable clubs earlier well, um, Burnley are in the top five, you know, and they they will be a surprise entry, I think, if, if people had to name them. Uh, I don't think people would normally expect that. And, yeah, and sorry, the reason, sorry, Kieran, can I just stop you there? Because it, it it did. I almost thought you'd made a mistake earlier on when you said Burnley. It, it kind of went by me a little bit. So that's. I, I think on behalf of Burnley fans, I should stop you there and say that's uh, that is quite a surprise. But hats off to them. Yeah, the 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 previous owners uh, before Alan Pace and ALK came in. Uh, they didn't put a bean 
into the club. It, they that they ran it as as a really tight unit. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've seen details about the uh, the Burnley cost control approach, um, and uh, I'm 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 aware of their uh, cap and collar when it comes to wages, and that they. But Burnley do have an identity in terms of the players they recruit, in, in terms of the players' expectations, and they've always said um, if, a, if a bigger club's, like, club comes in, we uh, we will allow you to leave, but we're not going to break our wage structure for anyone, and and that works. Um, and Burnley are, are I think, a, a testament that clubs can be run um, on a break-even model and, and cope fairly well. Um, are there other clubs? Well, again, domestically, um, you know, in, I know Spurs lost money um, last year due to COVID, but under normal circumstances, um, Spurs uh, Spurs's uh, wage control is is sometimes down in the less than less than forty percent. Uh, remember, they they don't ever have to worry about paying out trophy bonuses uh, to to players, so you know, they they've got a fairly good cost control model there. Um, so they have been very successful under Daniel Levy. I know that he winds some Spurs up, fans up, because they feel that it's a lack of ambition. Um, and then if we take a look at some of the uh, American owners, um, why have they been successful is because they are very much concentrating not on bringing in extra money, but controlling costs. And this is you know uh, this is spectacularly dull stuff. Um, but it works. You know, profit is ultimately revenue less costs. Um, if, if revenues are a bit flaky, if they're a bit volatile, then you have a you have a wage system which which conflicts with that, and you you set a limit and you keep to it. it in the old days, Kieran, if you'd said cap and collar, I'd have gone straight into manscaped. But what what? <laughs> I, I've never heard you use that expression before in terms of a football club. So is, is that a technical term? Cap is collar something that I, I should know about? Um, well, it, it's certainly an issue uh, for, for those people that have been saying, should we move to an, an NFL style of distribution and wage control hmm. in football? The, the reason why the NFL is successful is that it's closed leagues, which of course is an, an anathema to us. Hmm. Um, but to stop clubs from saying, uh, well, we, if, if, if we've got a closed league and we never have to worry about relegation, why don't you go and get 12 blokes off a park, pay them 100 quid a week and play them in the NFL? So the way that the NFL works is that if your, if you, if your wages paid are below 85% of the wage cap, you actually have to pay a tax. And, and oh, this right, makes right. the NFL more competitive. Um, and, it, and it is actually quite an interesting system. So it, it, I don't think it would work in football uh, because of the promotion and relegation. Um, but when it comes to Burnley, uh, my understanding is that part of the ethos of the club, club is no fancy Dan's. We will all pay you within a, a range of uh, you know your, your monthly pay and nobody's getting a huge amount more than the others but if you do break into the first team squad you'll be you'll be you know not too far behind the best paid people as well well makes for a healthier dressing room atmosphere i imagine as well um thank you kieran as ever thank you to everyone who has become a patron of the pod via our patreon site including jack freeman matt seaman and james ranson if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to air podcast go to patreon.com forward slash price football uh, if you have any questions whatsoever about any aspect of football finance it's questions at price of you're going to have to listen on thursday now after kieran's teased us with that 
Liverpool story, and I shall hand you over to Kieran to say his traditional farewell. Well, I'd like to abandon my traditional farewell. It is um, it is Kevin Day's 60th birthday, and I would just like to wish you a fantastic day with Ali, with Ed, and uh, to say that it's been an absolute honour uh, to work with you, and I look forward to another 60 years of the price of football. <laughs> Well, that's very kind of you, Kieran. I've spent the last five years trying to hide my true age from everybody. Uh, it, it didn't help. I got a lovely, delightful message from Roy Hodgson, which, of course, one of my mates had to share with every person he'd ever met in his life. <laughs> it didn't help at half time yesterday when there was a, a lingering camera shot of a 60th birthday message on the the scoreboard, which is that everybody in the pub can And also some bastard has undoctored my Wikipedia page. Someone's, <laughs> someone's gone on there and put my true age on it, and now so I just I'm just trying to accept it with good grace, Kieran, and and t- tell everybody that I've, yeah I'm just worried, Kieran. I look so young that it's yeah I try using my free travel pass. People are going to stop me and say yeah, <laughs> put that back, Sonny. You know? <laughs> but that's very kind of you to say so, Kieran. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure. I'm going to go now before I get emotional. Uh, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, son, for the